Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Time to talk a little NBA basketball. It's time for your daily assist. Hit it, Austin. It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Chris Mannix. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Daily Assist brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. Check them out online, leesheatac.com or call 801-747-LEES. Out to the T-Mobile special guest line we go, T-Mobile and Sprint. Coming together to build the best wireless company around, visit T-Mobile.com for online services and local store availability. From Sports Illustrated, he's our friend Chris Maddox. Chris, how are you? What's going on, guys? Well, uh, Game 6, Chris, uh, wasn't uh, the most competitive game in the world, but uh, so happy that that series went 6, and we certainly got a classic in Game 5. Yeah, and, you know, you in a way you could almost see something like this coming just because of the amount of energy, you know, Miami expended just to win that Game 5. And I don't say that just by looking at the box score or, you know, players on the floor, but even after the game, you know, the press conferences, you know, Jimmy Butler – kind of walking gingerly off the podium, you know, just the looks on the faces of the Heat players after game five, they were just gassed. I mean, that was that was their their stand right there to prove that, they, you know, they weren't going to be just blown out of these playoffs. And uh, they did it in game five and just, you know, clearly didn't have anything left in the tank, you know, going into game six. That game was over six minutes into the first quarter. Uh, it, it just You just knew that Miami didn't have enough left to make any kind of rally. So now that the Lakers are champions, uh, Chris, how do you evaluate them relative to the pantheon of NBA champions out there? You know, it's it's hard to to put them in any kind of upper bracket necessarily, but I think this championship in and of itself is an incredibly big accomplishment. I mean, anybody that's out there that points to an asterisk being attached to this just doesn't know what they're talking about. It just it was just from start to finish, the season was incredibly difficult. You know, the last three months in that bubble, uh, draining both mentally and physically, uh, probably more so mentally than anything else. But, you know, what, what the Lakers were able to accomplish this year was, was impressive. And for LeBron James, I'd rank this championship right behind, behind the championship he won in Cleveland. I mean, nothing will ever top that. That was the pinnacle of his career. But after that, it's this. I mean, to – to go through what he went through and this team went through, you know, in January with the death of Kobe from the work stoppage, to the social justice issues to the, uh, you know, second work stoppage early in the playoffs. I mean, there, there was a lot of adversity and, and, you know, a lot of teams had to overcome some, some amount of it. The Lakers were able to do it the best and, and ultimately the most. For an unrelated reason, Chris, Gordon and I earlier uh, started talking about uh, players that held on too long and uh, and what were examples of that. And, you know, one thing that LeBron James has done that is superhuman is play at this level for as long as he has with as few injuries as he's had. But someone else here on the station once added up how much extra, like, 
uh, time he's played with all his playoff runs, and it's multiple seasons on top of what he's played. Uh, what 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 do you think that does for his legacy, being that durable and playing at this high level for that long? Uh, you know, it, look, it, you're never going to convince the Michael Jordan faction that LeBron is the greatest of all time, just like you're unlikely to move the LeBron faction off his candidacy you know, for that distinction. But I don't know how you – look, I I watched Jordan as a fan in the 1990s. I've watched and covered LeBron the better part of the last two decades. I don't know how you you go against LeBron in this situation. Granted, Jordan, you know, he he did it in an era we had to be more physical in that that 1990s league. But, you know, people often point to the 6-0 record Jordan had in the finals, you know, comparing it to LeBron. But – Jordan also got beat a bunch of times in the first round, the conference semis. I mean, he didn't always make the finals in the playoffs. Uh, so I think that's a bit of a, a red herring, so to speak, with with what um, you know, with with how you evaluate that. So I think what what LeBron did in winning this championship just if it doesn't cement him as the greatest of all time, uh, I don't know what will in the minds of some people, and and maybe it's the next few years. I mean, look, you can make a strong case for the Lakers in the next five years, if Anthony Davis signs that full max deal, you know, they're going to be among the favorites every single year. And in a couple of years, or a year now actually because of the calendar, they're going to have the ability to go out and sign a max level free agent uh, and add to that that puzzle. So I think LeBron has four championships now, two back of Michael, uh, but he's far from done. And if he gets to that, that five or six number, I mean, even the most ardent of Jordan supporters, I don't think they're going to be able to back him. Chris, I want to ask you a question about LeBron because uh, Jake and I were talking about this earlier. Last week I wrote a column about uh, his greatness and uh, and how people – there seems to be a faction of people out there who really don't like LeBron for whatever reason. They all have their own reasons, whatever. But my, my I wasn't comparing LeBron to Jordan. All I was saying was, hey, appreciate what you're seeing with this guy. If you care about basketball, remember what you're watching because this is something extraordinary. And I, I, I don't pay much attention to the blowback I get, but I did take note of it. There's a lot of people out there who are angry at LeBron, and I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's incredibly irrational because LeBron, you know, despite being the most scrutinized athlete ever, you know, in any era, uh, has had you know nothing more than the equivalent of a parking ticket, you know, in terms of controversy. You know, going to to Miami and announcing it in the way he did in 2010, uh, you know, a handful of other maybe missteps in something he might say, but you know, he has been. Uh, as, as good a, a role model or as good a, a face of the league as you could possibly ask for. Um, and his talent is, is undeniable. I mean, I think there are just some people that don't want to acknowledge his, his greatness to a degree. Um, I think there's, there's something to the idea that LeBron, you know, there's some, a little bit of theatricalness to him. I mean, whether it's, you know, kind of a lot of the stuff that came out of the bubble when there was a work stoppage, well, did LeBron call Barack Obama? Then there was the, even the video from last night where he's, you know, plopping down on the floor in front of all the media and then calling his mom. Like, there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of things sometimes seem staged, and that contributes to to some of the, the, the feelings towards LeBron. But I mean, these are are small things. I mean, LeBron has been a good soldier for the league for you know the better part of two decades, and it, you know, you really have to dig deep to find things that are really wrong with how he's uh, acquitted himself. 
All right, Chris, I want to ask you about the offseason now. Um, can you take us through kind of a, a step-by-step as you understand it uh, in what's going to happen to proceed to look see what next season is going to look like? Well, I mean, look, you've got you know significant dates already lined up, the draft, November 18th, and you know uh, a few others uh, that are there for agency probably will start soon thereafter. But really everything is predicated on the state of the coronavirus in this country and the state of the ability to get fans back in buildings. And that is not all a vaccine, although I'm sure that would clearly be preferable. But the NBA would love to you know, have rapid testing readily available for them to distribute at arenas, to be able to test people before they come in, and and if not capacity, get you know 60% capacity, 50% capacity into these arenas. And if that's even an option, the league's going to push to – to delay the season as long as possible. I mean, their goal, I can tell you fundamentally, is to get fans back in the in the building. I mean, then they'll they'll wait till February, maybe in March, to to get that going. I mean, they need that and they want that fan revenue. I mean, that accounts, as we know, for forty percent of of the basketball related income. So, I think you just you know every week follow the the path of the coronavirus and where it is in this country and where we are in terms of progress being made. You know, with both a vaccine and rapid testing. If, if those things take significant, make significant strides, you know, the NBA could be back sooner than later. If they're sluggish, uh, it'll, it'll be into February, and then we might even be talking about going into regional bubbles to, to start the season. So there's, there's just no, right, no, no hard answer for this. There's no firm answer for this because it's all predicated on what we see with uh, the coronavirus. Did I understand you right there, Chris, that the NBA could sanction some sort of testing before people are allowed in the arena yeah i mean it's it's something that's been considered um and and again it comes down to the availability of rapid testing and just how effective rapid testing actually is now we've all kind of seen you know reports of these Abbott tests or some saliva tests that aren't necessarily the most accurate in the world but you you can get rapid results to them Uh, i think the nba is definitely exploring that you know for for themselves something they would buy and maybe you pass it off on the ticket consumer. Uh, again, they, these are not as readily available as they need to be, but maybe in January they will be. And if they are, I would expect the NBA to take advantage of it. Like the league's under no I – mean, anybody with a brain knows there's not going to be a vaccine until probably the end of the year. And even then, you're talking about six months before it's widely disseminated to, to the public at large. So the NBA is looking at you know, non-vaccine options, and, and rapid testing is the most, uh, most significant of them. Man, I'm hoping hard for that vaccine. I really am, man. It seems like, and I don't know, some people are afraid of it or whatever, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it, too, but I don't, like, I mean, I, uh, speaking only for myself, I probably wouldn't be one of the first ones to take it. Um, I'd probably wait three months or so to see how people respond to it. That's largely because it's become so politicized that I don't know what the reasons would be for it being out at the time that it came out. So I'd probably take some time. I think a lot of people share that sentiment. I'm not an anti-vaxxer by any stretch, but you know, I might wait till April or May to, to take a vaccine, even if it was available months earlier. And I think that's going to be a, a mindset of a lot of people in this country. Chris, can you put a bow on the 2019-2020 season from the Utah Jazz? What, uh, what are you taking away from the Jazz campaign this year? I mean, a lot of ups and downs, that's for sure. Um, but I think the way they're right of the ship in the bubble, at least structurally within that team, you know, it, it leaves you plenty of reason to be optimistic moving forward. Uh, you know, Gobert and Mitchell, I think everybody agrees, they're two guys you build around. You've got some other good pieces there. And now it, you know, again, falls on Dennis Lindsay and Justin Zanuck and that crew to hit on these draft picks. 
Um, it's it's not going to be easy for the Jazz to you know improve uh, in free agency. It never is. Uh, but if you can you know nail these draft picks and get yourself another wing scorer, you're in the mix next season. I mean, the Western Conference we've talked about this is going to be just brutal next year, you know, top to bottom. Uh, so you know the Jazz I think could just as easily finish in the top three and just as easily finish outside of the playoffs. I mean, given how tough it is out in the West. But a lot's going to depend on drafting, the development of these draft picks. It's You almost have to be perfect to have a, sh- a chance to contend in the Western Conference. The Jazz have the people and the personnel there that can do it, but uh, it's it's not an easy task to, to become a, a true Western Conference contender. Do you put the Warriors at the top or near the top uh, in that regard for next year? Well, I think it depends on what they do with that draft pick. I mean, if they draft like a James Wiseman, um, I, I don't know how much value a rookie is going to give them, uh, you know, on that team. If they flip it, I mean, I've, I've heard a lot of people tell me that to keep an eye on Bradley Beal and, and the Golden State Warriors. I mean, the Warriors can offer that number two pick. They can offer Minnesota's top three protected pick next year, which could be really good. Uh, and they could offer Andrew Wiggins. And you know, I know Washington has resisted dealing Beal, but – you know, that's, a, that's an offer they'd have to really think long and hard about, especially with no guarantees about how Beal and John Wall are going to play together with Wall coming back from injury. So, uh, you know, if they wind up with Bradley Beal, you know, they're, they're at, the, at worst a co-favorite to win the whole thing. If they have to use that pick and don't get something, you know, veteran for it, uh, I think it could be a much more open Western Conference with the Warriors in it. Wow, Beal, Thompson, and Steph. Wouldn't that be something? Yeah, good shooters. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd say that the floor would be pretty spread. Um, our friend Chris Mannix is with us uh, from Sports Illustrated, wrapping up the NBA season uh, here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Uh, what do you think becomes of the Clippers? Are, are there going to be major changes there uh, outside of the coach, of course? Um, what uh, are, can they? What do they need to do this offseason to really put it over the top? Well, I'm not sure that much they can do. I mean, they're going to be pretty capped out and deep in luxury tax once they pay Montrezl Harrell, maybe pay Marcus Morris. Jamichael uh, uh, Green is in that mix. They've got a lot of guys that they're going to have to pay that you know, you know could push them pretty deep in the luxury tax territory. So their flexibility is extremely limited. And, yeah, I, I think it's just a matter of internal improvements. And, you know, a belief that the Clippers clearly have, at least Steve Ballmer has, that this group that won eight of the last nine before going into the, the pandemic break uh, you know, is, is built to succeed. You know, and there certainly is a, an argument to be made that the, the bubble screwed up the Clippers. They had so many issues with guys going in and out. Uh, their chemistry was a mess. There's an argument to be made that you go into next season and the Clippers are once again the favorite. But next season, it's do or die for the Clippers. You've got your two stars that can opt out of their contracts, become free agents. Uh, you don't have any kind of draft capital because you traded it all the way in, in the deal that, that brought you Paul George. So I don't. it's a long way of saying I don't think there will be any substantive changes uh, except to just hope that this team gets back on track in a full season uh, with their guys. Same question for the Bucks. I think they'll make a move. Um, it seems unlikely that Giannis signs that max extension with the team. At least that's what I'm hearing. Uh, but the Bucks have some assets there. And then I continue to point to Chris Paul. I mean, the Thunder are going in a different direction. They're rebuilding. Uh, the Bucks can offer a number of different pieces, you know, plus a draft pick and or a young player like Dante DiVincenzo. And Chris Paul just makes too much sense. I mean, he's got a big contract. There's not going to be a lot of suitors out there for him, even though he played like an all-star this year. Uh, he just makes too much sense. He, he gives them a player that can create his own shot that you know is a playoff performer and that's something the bucks desperately need so if they hope to have any chance of retaining Giannis long term they've got to make a move and chris paul to me is that obvious move 
So the jacked-up uh, revenue stream from this year's season, uh, Jake and I have spent a lot of time trying to figure that out, how the league is going to handle it. Do you think they spread sp- spread their difficulties out over the next number of seasons to uh, to to mitigate this uh, this huge uh, sort of downturn from this season? It's hard to say. I mean, I think they'll have a bunch of different ideas. They'll run it by the union. And, you know, what the union wants and what the NBA wants aren't always in sync. If you go back to 2016 when the NBA wanted some cap smoothing, they didn't want to have to see a giant jump in the cap based on the new TV deal. The union said no. The NBA had no choice. And, you know, we saw that huge spike in the cap. The union's going to carry a big bat in these negotiations. Um, and, you know, in talking to Adam Silver, you know, over the, over the course of the summer, uh, he knows this is going to be a challenging a challenging negotiation. I mean, it's one thing to do it to negotiate when you've got 75% of player salaries already paid. It's another thing to have 0% already paid. And uh, I think it's going to, you're going to rely heavily on the relationship silver has with Chris Paul, the union president, the relationship he has with Michelle Roberts. I mean, there's, there's a lot that, uh, that the NBA has got to figure out here. And I don't think anybody has any grasp of how it's, it's all going to play out and what kind of financial structure they'll have when the season ultimately resumes. Well, Chris, we just want to say a hearty thank you uh, for you coming on with us during this wild season. We've never seen anything like it before, and uh, you've been coming on with us weekly, and you're great at what you do, and I think our listeners really benefit from you uh, jumping on with us. So we can't thank you enough, and we hope you have a chance to enjoy what uh, is probably going to be a bizarre (laughs) offseason. No question. Anytime, guys. Thanks, Chris. That's our friend Chris Mannix, uh, your daily assist. We'll um, we'll kind of do a lap this week, Gordon, with our daily assist guests and put a bow on some things, and then uh, I think we'll give him a little time off. But uh, Chris is amazing. Uh, he's amazing at what he does, like I just said right there, and, and our show is better off for his role on it, so we appreciate him. No doubt about that. Uh, Chris is uh, really, really good. No doubt. All right. We'll have more big show coming up next, including uh, coming up. We'll talk about uh, your boy, John Canzano. Gordon is back at it with uh, some bleak reporting about the Pac-12. But I'm curious to your uh, your reaction. Get to that straight ahead at 450. We've got the not sports report at five o'clock. Tanner Mangum is going to be on the show at 530. Our friend Keon Myers uh, from Silver and Black today is going to jump on with us as we talk about the Raiders big win over Gordon's Chiefs. The uh, hey, I'm a Raiders fan now. Remember, I mean, I got Chiefs accepted. Guy. I got accepted into the club, and you haven't, and you're jealous. I'm looking at Lloyd, and he's saying he wants no part of you. At, any ask Lloyd. At Lloyd, as Lloyd is my witness, I asked his permission because Lloyd is the chief of these things around here. You didn't. You're jealous. Yeah, Chiefs. We know you're a Chiefs fan. Uh, stay tuned. More next. It's the Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Show Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Thanks for making us part of your day. We greatly appreciate it. Gordo, uh, John Canzano of the Oregon, Oregonian has been at it again. Um, he's, he's been busy, hasn't he? He's got a, he's got a column up. Um, 
And uh, it, it's about the Pac-12 network. And I think there are uh, three really important things that uh, came out of this uh, column. Kind of different things, but uh, but three things that, that I really took from this. All right. Should we walk through it? You want to go one yeah. by one, or do you want me to lay them out and let you have at it? Uh, no, no, go one at a time. Okay, this one is is probably well. This one's tough on the people involved, obviously. Uh, Canzano talked about there had been 170 employees on the payroll of the Pac-12 network. He's since laid off or furloughed the vast majority of them, and then adds further on in the column that they have not been contacted whatsoever about what uh, if they have a role in the future or if there's going to be a future, what it's going to look like. It's just been silence. So I'm sure those employees uh, uh, are are really grateful that the offices are in San Francisco so they can pay high rent while they're not making any money. Eight million um, a year. So that that was a, a revelation. I didn't realize the layoffs or furloughs at the Pac-12 network had been that bad. But uh, apparently Yogi Roth and uh, well, what's the gal's name? Amy at what? I, Ashley Adamson. I almost said Amy Adamson. I was like, nope, that doesn't sound right. Ashley Adamson are are might be the only two left. Uh, in fact, Ashley's going to join us on Thursday, so maybe we'll talk to her about how things are going over there at the Pac-12 Network. But anyway, I, that that stinks is what that does. Um, yes, it does. The other thing, and you and I suspected this because we talked about it the other day, uh, but the, the Pac-12 Network is going to air basically one, maybe two football games this year. Because with the truncated season, those are all going to Fox and ESPN, all the, you know, everybody else's game. And then the only games they might be able to broadcast are on December 18th because Fox and ESPN can't take up all of them. So there might be one, maybe two left over that the Pac-12 network could actually air. So as far as the network goes, this season isn't even really being played. Right. It, it might as well not be a thing because they don't have anything to air. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's not good. And then... Um, Gordon, remember, how about this? Then uh, this is the final one, and this one's probably the most alarming. Um, you know the narrative uh, that uh, the, the Pac-12, and by the way, I fully bought into this narrative, that the Pac-12 network didn't partner with Fox or ESPN because they wanted to forage ahead and keep all their rights for themselves, and it was right. this great long-term plan that was eventually going to pay off? Yep. Fake news, Gordon. That would be fake news. I'll read uh, right here from the column, and uh, I'll read a couple paragraphs so we can uh, we can get uh, what's going on here. Cansano uh, reports, one high-ranking conference official told me, quote, no media company wanted to partner with the Pac-12. ESPN declined. Fox, CBS, even the Discovery Channel declined. Nobody wants this. We weren't wanted. Canzano, wow. Unquote. Canzano goes on to write, the only option the Pac-12 had was to launch a network itself. It's since been recast as some forward-thinking, ambitious endeavor led by Scott. Truth is, the Pac-12 misread the market, then tried to shift the narrative. It helps explain why it ultimately failed in so many glaring ways, including gobbling up 170,000 square feet of expensive downtown San Francisco real estate for the studios. Quote, I don't think anyone who was sitting in the room at the table at the various meetings, including the presidents and consultants, knew what they were doing, said the source. Quote, nobody had launched a network and knew what it would take, unquote. Wow. Well, okay. If that's (laughs) – let's back up. Nobody wanted the Pac-12 football. My question then becomes – 
Or I guess I would alter that a little bit. Somebody wanted them. They just didn't want them for the right price. Well, I, yeah, I could probably sell my used socks to somebody, but I can't charge $100. <laughs> so yeah, all right. But yeah, they, I mean, they misread the market. That that much is is plain, whether you buy, buy bought into the narrative or not. I'm kind of mad yeah. I bought into the narrative because I really did. I thought, oh, this is innovative, and, and streaming is going to be the way of the future, and they'll have 100% of their rights to stream and blah, blah, blah. And then they sat on it for 10 years purging money. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm bothered that I bought it because I, I usually pride myself on not buying things right off the bat. Well, based, I did on the on success, based on the success of other leagues and the money that there was being generated for them, you, it would be easy to kind of buy that, you know, that they would be in the ballpark and the, in the long term it would be really good. And they, Yeah, I mean, you would think that, that the fact that that's a fabrication, that's damning. In a huge way, on a lot of fronts, you know the fact that that the product isn't that valuable, the fact that the Pac-12 had to concoct some story to make themselves look good. That's that's pretty amazing. <laughs> well, it, it's right up Larry Scott's alley because he's all about the PR spin, and the good news yeah. is, is he's really bad at it. In this case, though, he was pretty good. I bought it. He's he is such toast. Uh, he might be. If this is true, he he should be toast because apparently yeah. he doesn't know what he's doing. In, in, well, in the most important did, facet he, of the job right now, which is okay. television negotiations. So was he honest with the presidents around the league, or was he selling them a bill of goods? Well, if you if you take this and and believe it. Well, the presidents didn't know what they were doing either. <laughs> the, the, this quote from that I read earlier, quote, I don't think anyone who was sitting in the room at the table at various meetings, including the presidents and consultants, knew what they were doing. Nobody had launched well, a network and knew what it would take. But if your consultants don't know what they're doing, then why are they consultants? You hired the wrong ones, man. Wow. They hired, they hired uh, a, a PR consulting firm after the referee disaster that they didn't even use. <laughs> that they were paying six figures for. See, so I blame. Not, let's not pretend like they're really good at hiring consultants. I'm blaming Larry Scott. I'm blaming the consultants and those who hired them. The presidents, the school presidents, yeah, they should know better than this. Or they should have some inkling of what they don't know. So they can avoid these kinds of major mistakes. And they didn't. But I don't expect for school presidents to be experts on building network relationships you know i mean but but you got to have somebody in place who is who will who who does man the pac-12 has really been screwed up under larry he he has done a crappy job i don't know how else to put it man you've said it i've said it i've written it john's written it a thousand times uh, it's remarkable that it could be mishandled in this fashion. Well, we've asked John Canzano himself on this show uh, where Larry's source of support has been coming from, and he talked about how the majority of presidents in the Pac-12 have turned over, and uh, that support is not what it once was. What do you, what do you tell us, Gordon? There are two presidents that are left that uh, from when I he hired, and I think said, it's yeah. um, Arizona State is definitely one, and I think the other is Oregon State. 
I want to say that that are still in Larry's camp. So we'll, I mean, we'll see where they go from here. They, as you've written and as we've talked about on the show, they've got to make the decision on on his future pretty darn quick because they've got to figure out where they're going in the next media rights negoci- uh, negotiation, and they have to figure out what to do with this dead weight Pac-12 network. Yeah, I, I wonder how it's all going to turn out uh, from a standpoint of. Because we look at certain conferences and we say, okay, the SEC is in really good shape. The Big Ten is in really good shape. Remember, for a long time, we thought the Big 12 uh, was going to explode and not exist anymore. And really, we thought the Pac-12 was in a position of, uh, of, of power. And, you know, they were going after Texas and Oklahoma. And maybe that's why they were going after those schools, because they knew they were in trouble. Yeah. I, I just, oh, I'm with I'm with you, Gordon. It's hard to believe that there wasn't some sort of uh, of rational offer, a partnership between ESPN and Fox and the Pac-12 networks, and you know they they obviously set the bar uh, too high as far as value goes. But I mean, as far as as let's see, you know, support from fans. The Pac-12 isn't what some of these other leagues is, are. It's just not. I mean, Utah and Oregon really carry the banner for. Uh, you know, I guess undying support and packing their buildings week in and week out. Washington's got a pretty pas- passionate fan base, but they kind of come and go as the as the Huskies do. I is mean, some of this a problem that uh, is uh, demonstrated through USC's uh, struggles because you figure if you have Oregon and you have SC, don't you figure your conference is going to be should be in pretty good shape? Uh, well, the the problem with USC, uh, I would say, is they haven't been as good, and that market is so incredibly divided. And UCLA doesn't uh, do you a whole lot of help as far as support goes and, and how their program has gone. You know, look at Arizona State there in Phoenix. You think, oh, well, the Phoenix market's pretty nice. But, you know, we know from talking to uh, Hatch and, and Kevin and others who've, uh, who've worked down in Phoenix, they're like fifth or sixth on the sports totem pole oh, down yeah, there. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a pro town. And Arizona, they their football fans don't care about, about Arizona football. And, you know, you go up to, to Washington State and Oregon State, you know, do they have the, the support that's really going to move the needle? Probably not. Uh, you know, Colorado was designed to get the Denver market, and I, I guess that's nice and all, but Colorado's been terrible. Bad. Yeah, but I, I'm not so sure that it's just performance on the field. You know what I mean? We love, and I, I say we, we love living in the West, because because of the lifestyle, right? And that that's really across the board in this footprint. There's just so many things to entertain yourself with that you're not, you know, that driving to Lincoln, Nebraska on a Saturday is is not the best thing you've got going for you. The living is too good out here. You're saying? No, it has an effect, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It it really does. So and, and the culture is different. You know, you get into SEC country and they show up to tailgate uh, six weeks before the game's supposed to start. It's uh, just not like that in the it's not like that in the Pac-12. Yeah. I'd argue that that Utah is is might be the closest to that Utah and Oregon. But I mean, you know, I've covered some games across the, the footprint. You know, I, I covered one of Utah's wins over UCLA. You've been down there and the, yeah. the, the scene outside the Rose Bowl is kind of cute and fun, but it's not what you'd see. Outside of Ole Miss, and Ole Miss hasn't been good in 50 years. Man, this is, I think looking back at it, uh, those who study this, what's happened to the Pac-12, are just going to shake their heads and go, this this was really screwed up. 
Uh, the Pac-12, as it is now, uh, should be stronger than it is, both competitively and in the manner in which it's run. And it, it both have been – one has been substandard, the other has been failure. How about that, though? They couldn't – nobody wanted the Pac-12 network. Jeez. Nobody wanted it. I mean, the ESPN gave Texas their own network for crying out loud. That's crazy. That that no. that was kind of a, a bombshell to my uh, vision uh, no. or or how I view the Pac-12 because I I did I thought okay they were trying something they were trying to be innovative they were uh, doing their best to to forge a, a path that nobody's really ever done before outside of the Mountain West and that was kind of a failure and uh, good for them for having the stones to do it truth is they didn't have a choice and that's how they, they spun well, it crazy they had a choice it's just that I I think the dollar figures would have been well below what they what other conferences were getting but that's not what was reported uh when, when you say nobody wanted them nobody wanted them at the price at which they wanted to be wanted that's a direct <laughs> quote from the the piece gordon <laughs> we weren't wanted unquote <laughs> so you can read that however you want i guess but that's a direct quote from canzano's source we weren't wanted Anytime I start using the word wanted five times in the same sentence, Austin, I know I'm in trouble. So uh, maybe I should just let it be. I'll just read this one more time just for fun. Here's the whole quote. (laughs) One high-ranking conference official told me, quote, no media company, underline the word no there, Gordon, you got that? No, N-O, media company, wanted to partner with the Pac-12, ESPN declined, Fox, CBS, and even the Discovery Channel declined. Nobody knows this, says the source. We weren't wanted, unquote. So wait a second. If that's true, then the Mountain West Conference was wanted, but the Pac-12 wasn't? No, the Mountain West Conference doesn't have their own network. No, no, I mean as far as partnering with other uh, with other networks. Oh, they signed a deal with Fox and ESPN. Yeah, but I know. But we're, we're talking about the Pac-12 network. We're not talking about the Pac-12 itself. R- right. But, okay. All right. Thanks for clarifying that. And the Mountain West had a network that they did on their own, and it failed. They don't currently have a network. But the, let's see, Texas, they partnered with ESPN. SEC partnered with ESPN. ACC with ESPN. And Big Ten with Fox. And I believe they all sold right around 50% of their network to those stations. Mm, nobody wanted them. And nobody mm, wanted the Pac-12. Mm, mm, mm. Not Sports, coming up next. Stay tuned, wow. 97.5 and 1280 Just, The Zone. Wow. Check this out. And now your not sports report on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Well, it's a one for the money, two for the show, three to get ready now. Go, cat, go, but don't you step on my blue suede shoe. Well, you can do anything but take me over my blue suede shoe. Big show. Gordon Mons and Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It's uh, Monday. That means it's time to get a winner for the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Be caller 12 right now, 855-340-ZONE. Correctly identify the Chevy Strong Play of the Game. Announced by David and Pat this morning at 8.50, and you'll win his own prize pack. It's the Chevy Strong Play of the Game, brought to you by your Rocky Mountain Chevy dealers. It's time for the Not Sports Report, brought to you by the LHM Used Car Supermarket. Over 1,000 used vehicles and inventory. Shop online, LHMUsedCars.com. Gordon, where are we going today? We're going to Riverside, California. Before we do, let me ask your level of enthusiasm for Halloween decorations. 
Little to none. Do you do anything? Uh, my wife and daughter put out a couple of flags, and I think we've got pumpkins on our front porch. Do you do carving, carved pumpkins, jack-o'-lanterns and whatnot? Uh, yeah, I'll be forced to do that, yeah. Do you light a candle and put it inside? Um, yeah, you can also do little light bulb things that they have these days okay. if you don't want to start a fire. <laughs> you know what? How about I, you? We, we do the Sharpie on the pumpkin because I hate the smell of pumpkin. Do you really? Yep. So we don't cut any pumpkins. We just Sharpie or paint the outside of the pumpkins. Uh, that's the compromise because literally my wife is the queen decorator and, and she's really good at it. But boy, there's a lot of decorations, a lot of them. There is, uh, there, that's going to change as your little one gets bigger. The decorations? The carving of the pumpkin. No, she does it at Grandma's house, not at my house. <laughs> I got it. She so farm that stuff out. Uh-huh. Yep. I don't like uh, carving pumpkins particularly either, but uh, my wife does like to cook the seeds, which I really enjoy. So I figure that's at least a nice little byproduct of, of being forced to carve a pumpkin. What's with your aversion to pumpkins? Um, you know, they're Austin, icky, they're I'm, gross, I mean, they're Austin, sticky, man. they're nasty. You know, okay. Are you allergic? Or I anything? don't like squash in general, and it's very much of the same family, right? Same genome. It's very. <laughs> it, it feels and tastes and looks like it's already been pre-chewed, and, and I don't <laughs> care for that. I love that Gordon likes to bring this stuff up with us, whereas in his own life, there's no way you've carved a pumpkin. Oh, that, that is so. That is, that, that, that is that is a, that is an illustration of how often you're wrong. I have carved I carved pumpkins for thirty straight years. I don't want to hear about it. Either do I, because I don't believe it. It's true. It is absolutely you, you mean, true. You mean, the Gordon, uh, l- let me channel my Gordon. Uh, hey, kids, let's go carve some pumpkins. That sounds great. That doesn't sound like something you would say. No, my kids, when they were, well, when they were younger. Yes, so they, a long they lo- time they, ago. They, no, no, they, they loved doing that stuff, and so I did it with them. Used to stick my hand in and get all that gooey stuff no. out of there. Yeah, but your yes. kids haven't been kids in a while now. Uh, yeah, but I got grandkids. Uh huh. And you watch them carve the pumpkins with their parents. No, no, no. I, I, <laughs> you I've done right plenty in. of, you I've do done not. plenty of pumpkin carving in my day. I want you to know. Yeah, back uh, in maybe, the day. Maybe that's not, all I said. Uh, maybe not as much now, but I, every once in a while, but back in the day, every single year, the kids love that holiday. I don't know what it is, but they just do. It's the candy. Well, have, have you I can see seen the how... last pumpkin Gordon carved was a logo of NSYNC into the pumpkin. <laughs> no, it's not just that's Spice for, Girls. Uh, it, 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 no, no, it, it goes beyond. It goes beyond the candy. It's also the getting dressed up in the getting dressed up in the costume and the whole thing. Kids get excited about this. I'm surprised you guys are on the cusp of finding this out. Your kids are going to want to be. They're, they're going to plan their costume out a month in advance. This is going to be a big, big deal. You better get used to it. But every happens. once in a while, I'll be driving through a neighborhood, and I'll see a house that has cobwebs all over it, a big spider on the roof, all kinds of, you know, gravestones in the front yard. Not, I mean, they, they, they just go all out. And there's a family in Riverside, California. They love Halloween. Uh, Carmen and Travis Long, they love Halloween. And so what do they do? They go all out on the decorations for the house. 
and they've they've had uh, your typical stuff with skeletons and things like that. But then they graduated to a Pirates of the Caribbean theme where they have cannons and they got all kinds of stuff. But th- but recently they've added a new feature where it's like this paper that you put on a fan and you have the lights and it looks like they look like flames. And I saw a video of this. And it is remarkable how real it looks. And there's this uh, nice home, uh, two-story home, kind of a colonial style. And they have in some of the windows, they have this fire raging. And what has happened is the fire department, the local fire department down there, has gotten like 50 calls, more than 50 calls from people uh, reporting a house on fire. It looks real. It looks real. And these folks have just uh, have taken taken this way too far. So, all y'all, if you're going to do that out there, I think it's kind of macabre. Uh, you know, who wants to put gravestones in their front yard? Uh, I mean, that, that, that just may be a tad bit too far. Like literally every other house. And can I complain about this just for one second, Gordon? On a uh-huh. day where here in Utah... We have the viral video of all viral videos across the country of a guy that nearly was eaten by a cougar. Oh. And somehow the night not sports report is about the Clark Griswold of Halloween. How is that possible? <laughs> well, I mean, a truly terrifying video uh, and, of a guy who was stalked by yeah. uh, a wild mountain lion for yes. over six minutes. I, and we're I, talking I, about some I, weird video with flames? Hold on. There's two other stories I was going to talk to you about. That was, it's that, that, was, that was one of them. I, saw, I watched that video, and it was scary because that cougar back there, looking like at, at, one, at one point, looked like it was wanted to attack. The rest of the time, I'm just sort of trotting along, you know. But at one point, it's been all these gyrations. And I'm thinking, if I'm that person running, I am putting it in for a full, full gear, man. I am just flooring it to get out of there. Yeah, that is scary. why you would have gotten eaten. The, okay. the smartest thing that guy did was not turn around and run. As soon as he turned around and ran, that cat was chasing him down from behind well, for show. Well, okay. Well, maybe. But, the other but thing was to see- Chicago man falls off roof, putting up thousands of Christmas lights. No, uh, no, no. Uh, and the other thing was, did you see the story? It was I know the Tribune had it, and I don't know if anybody else did about the Utah man that had twenty, like uh, boa constrictors or pythons in his house. Yeah, twenty. I, so enthusiastic pet owner. Yeah, that is frightening. I mean, I understand if you want Eight to have a pet snake. Eight of them were snake, 10 feet long. I know. If you want to have a pet snake, fine. Have a pet snake. 20! I think that, is that against the law? Oh, yeah. He's in jail. Because not only, you can only have, I think, one, and you have to pay for an exotic pet uh, uh, license. And not only did they find 20 pythons in his house, they found pills and marijuana and cash and firearms and all kinds of things. So he's in jail. Uh, I, I can't think of it. But mean, the picture, he, by the way, the mugshot, that looks like a guy that would get arrested for having 20 pythons. But were they house. pets or was he was he selling them? Or what, the, what? They, he got busted in an undercover sting operation where the undercover officer bought a baby python from him illegally. And that's against the law, obviously. Oh, man. Out you go. Have 20 pythons in your house? No thanks. Don't want nothing to do with that. 
But be careful with your decorations out there, folks. Make sure that, you know, the fire department doesn't think your house is burning to the ground. That would not be good. Stay tuned. Tanner Mangum joins the show next, 97.5 and 1280 at The Zone.